Hello everyone, this is Guy Windsor, also known as The Sword Guy, and I'm here today with Tan Smith, who runs Rogue Fencing, a fencing club in New York City, and she also runs Fect Yeah, a women-focused uh, swordsmanship event that should be happening in two weeks' time, but sadly isn't. It'll be, it's postponed, it'll be rescheduled for some time, hopefully later in the year. Now, I could blabber on for ages, but let's go to Tan. And so Tan, whereabouts are you? I'm in New York. Um, okay. I did live in New York City for a while. Now I'm a bit mm -hmm. outside the city. So I am what they call a bridge and tunnel commuter. Um, okay. My heart will always be in Queens, which is where my club is. Okay, excellent. And what made you want to start historical martial arts? How did you get into this? Um, I actually have an interesting story for that one. Okay. Um, I was referred to this. I used to do parkour in college because that was the, the trendy thing when I was in school. Sure. Um, but Decau from Sword to Sword in Houston um, and I were friends from the, one of the parkour forums. And he referred me when he heard I was moving to New York um, to take up swords. I'm like, sure, swords are great. Swords are cool. Um, mm -hmm. So the club he referred me to was actually Sword Class NYC, and those first classes were with Tristan Zukowski. Okay. And what were you studying? How, what was it like? Yeah, so I got my start in longsword, um, particularly mm -hmm. German longsword with a Kunsteffekten focus. Um, mm -hmm. I've moved on a little bit from that, but um, that is my foundation. Um, okay with all the um, interesting wild theories and all of that, I have chosen a more straightforward path, I think, these days um, with more Renaissance sources. Okay, so what are your interests now? What are you researching at the moment? Um, so our school is a Meyer school, um, mm -hmm. so German. Um, still yep. German, still longsword, but what we really like is that we have some more options. So everyone gets excited about pole arms. Um, we have mm -hmm. a great park close by our school where we could go outside. Um, this year, our hopes, um, which is very social distancing appropriate, are to get a bunch of pole <laughs> arms for the club so we can Excellent. start doing yep. that There's stuff. There's nothing more socially distanced than a pole arm. It says, get the hell exactly. away from me. <laughs> exactly. So like... Yeah. You know, we kind of spin it as a positive, something we've been wanting to do and kind of saving up mm -hmm. club funds for, you know, hopefully in a few weeks or a few months when we feel safe and comfortable enough to assemble, we can mm -hmm. do it in a safe-ish way, <laughs> a martially okay. sound safe way. Um, sure. But that also allows us to do things like dagger, Myers rapier um, mm -hmm. and the like. Um, I also have some familiarity with Capoferro, um, doing some rapier. I do love my Capoferro. I know, and everyone loves, everybody is a Fabrice fan. And I feel kind of funny because I didn't go into that, but I'll be, I'll be over in the Capoferro camp. Um, right. I think part of that is really just having great people who, um, who study and teach it. Um, mm -hmm. And then this might jump forward a little bit. Um, but Dory and David Copeland are like really wonderful, positive people. And some of mm -hmm. their work with that is like one of the reasons why, you know, I continued on and found something really interesting to me and something I can be open and learn about. 
So I don't get okay. too stodgy when I'm teaching long sword. It keeps it right. new and fresh. Okay, so you find your rapier studies sort of freshen up your longsword material. Yeah, I I think I like rapier better, and I like side sword okay. probably. Yeah, best of That's all. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I like longsword, and it's fun, and you know, I guess to put it this way, for people coming into historical European martial arts, it's kind of the sexy weapon because people see it, and it feels very mm -hmm. like strong and empowering which is cool but then there are also it's like a lightsaber yeah there's there's kind of this image of it like that's very mm -hmm. it's very catchy um but i think the way i am and kind of the way i like to think about things fits a little bit better with some of like the rapier texts um i mm -hmm. can be very analytical um which is funny i guess flipping back to your research I'm pretty straightforward, which is ironic because I was a poetry major in undergrad. I okay. <laughs> I studied writing specifically poetry, but like right. the very poetic works in Cadia for Gunstefecten. Um, I don't know. I think I kind of just grew out of them a little bit and wanted something more straightforward. I don't want to have to do uh, literary analysis for the rest of my life forever. It's just giving me well, homework flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you could have gone with Fury, you know. I mean, Fury writes very have. straightforward, you know. It, yes, it's technically some of it's in verse, but it's not it's not poetic in the sense like like the, the Zettler poetic. It's, it's right. straightforward. Stand with your left foot like this and your right foot like that. And when he does this, do that. I mean, it's it's really pretty straightforward. That's why I'm glad so, we yeah, yeah. ended up with like a, a friend, friend school um, a Fiore school in New York City. So mm -hmm. if I wanted to take a break, we could go visit the people at La Arte, um, yep. which is where uh, Patrick McCaffrey, who has his HEMA podcast, and um, mm -hmm. Rebecca Glass are. So right. they're the big, they're the ones running that school, and it's it's good. Mm -hmm. And I think like one of the great things about being in the New York area is that you have access to many options. Sure. Um, so you don't really have to feel obliged to be like, I can only do KDF and people who mm -hmm. don't do KDF aren't, don't get it. And, you know, it doesn't become yeah, as yeah. much of a like weird exclusive club, even though in a way sure. it is a weird exclusive club historically. Yes, good point. Um, so, you know, we all have things that we know we ought to be doing more of. So what do you think you should be adding to your own training, your own practice? Maybe um, Fiore. Yeah, maybe if you are right. Uh, oh, gosh, I know some people who would say grappling, but right now we can't do that as much as yeah, I would sure. love to. Um, my heart is in grappling, um, and I always wish I was better. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of along with that is higher intensity sparring and high intensity sparring games. And right. I think really more of like the cue reactions and the sparring games sure. in particular. Yep. Part yep. of that is like teaching makes that difficult. Um, but now the mm -hmm. great thing about having students that get better and like that yeah, makes yeah. you want to have students that get better, they eventually can, you know, make you work harder. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's something to look forward to. And, you know, I have a training partner who I can push with a little bit, which is good. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of that whole what what happens when we come out of quarantine and we spar again situation <laughs> on my mind. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I could say everything. I'd love to work on everything a little bit more. Um, I have lots of books that I should be reading, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the list is always so long. Um, but part of me, I'm, I'm a very active, like action-oriented person, so I get too mm -hmm. twitchy sitting around too long, which is why I'm glad I, I moved out of the city a little bit, so I have a yard now, so I could go out. Ah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could run around I'm by the trees. No one sees what I'm doing, or if they do, they right. just don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I warned when we moved to our house here, I warned our neighbors that you know, uh, yeah. this is what I do for a living. And, you know, if you see me swinging a pole axe in the garden, don't worry. It's all perfectly, perfectly um, safe and straightforward and actually historical. <laughs> And for some reason, people think if it's historical, it must be safe, which is, mm -hmm. just doesn't make any sense at all. Think about it, because yeah. historically they were killing people with these things. <laughs> it's it's just a fun hobby. What's your fun, quirky hobby? Barbecue. Yeah. Uh, that's fire, well, though. Yeah. <laughs> You're just controlling <laughs> well, go. Yeah. fire. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fine. Um, <laughs> so we were talking about sort of higher intensity uh, training, and that sort of brings up the subject of protective equipment. Mm -hmm. um, so. Like everyone I've interviewed so far for this podcast has had pretty strong views on protective equipment. So what are the, um, what, what do you think could be done better? What do you think is good? What's missing? What are the risks? Just feel free to rant on a little bit about protective yeah. equipment. So when seeing this, and I'm glad you gave me questions beforehand, there are there's like a point that I think really made the whole thing kind of coalesce in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, my number one priority is puncture protection and okay. my second priority is impact protection. Okay. And part of it is because puncture tends to, because I have a sport fencing background as well. Right. Um, part of it is that puncture comes a lot from accidents. So, right. If we could mitigate the accidental stuff as much as possible, then for impact protection, then we start looking on behavior, looking at behavioral changes. Ah, that's a very interesting approach. I okay. And really asking that question and looking at that question again mm -hmm. after some time away from it made me think about it that way, mm -hmm. because thinking about harm reduction in general, like you know, sometimes people. Sometimes people accidentally hit too hard, yep. but most of the time there's some sort of, there's either a skill gap or cognition gap between like, what are they doing to hit that hard? And that's something you yeah. can kind of drive <laughs> and kind yes. of add, push the brake or yeah, push the brake on or add some gas on to get mm -hmm. it in the right thing where that connection is. With puncture, I feel like that one's harder to account for because if something breaks if something goes wrong yeah i mean if, if you're using a, yeah. a rubber point on your weapon the only puncture you're going to get is if the blade breaks right you can get you can get a rib broken from the impact but right. you're not you're not going isn't the sword's only going to go through you if it breaks right and so so what are you using to um, mitigate these so risks i do have a jf jacket um mm -hmm. And I have like really old, my old best women's jacket that I've had for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. um, I like have not upgraded my gear in a long time. 
Um, I was making a joke when typing these out with like high speed, low drag. What I like about the JF jackets is that they're roomy enough um, mm -hmm. and light enough that I can move around in, but then mm -hmm. I could add stuff to it. So I'm, I always wear a chest protector. Um, right. I use like the, the flat ones, the, the yep. men's chest protectors. Yeah. Um, they tend to like, I have a the small plastic jobs. Yep. Yeah. Cause I'm, okay. I'm sure it's, and I've had it for a while. So it's basically like formed to my body, like even around yep. the ribs to a degree, because mm -hmm. I'm just like, I got a small frame. <laughs> um, yep. so between that and the jacket is pretty good. I have, you know, pretty solid neck protect. I think I have like three or four different forms of neck protection that I rotate yep. out depending on how I feel and mm -hmm. what feels best with the jacket. Um, you know, always with rigid there. Um, but like, I want to be light enough that I can move, but also have the hard protection as, mm -hmm. as needed to protect there. So I think that's where okay. like the roominess comes in. Um, I actually, for armored stuff, because I've been experimenting into armor a little bit, which I'll probably Excellent. read more Fiore for. Right, <laughs> uh, so it, it's, it'll happen. Um, I just got a new Gambeson, um, mm -hmm. which is actually really wonderful. Um, I bought it used, but it's a pretty good fit that kind of fits with my, like, the arm and sleeve fit is wonderful. And that's kind of like my main priority to so. make sure I can have that. Um, and then I build up, you know, head and neck to make sure mm -hmm. those sensitive parts are solid. And then I wear poofy yeah. pants because they're cool. <laughs> <laughs> but I have the high heel pants, which the good thing about them is that they do have like rated options um, and they're very so knowledgeable. Rate, rated for puncture resistance. Rated yes. for puncture resistance. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So you can be stylish and safe at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I'm very for that. I'm very for the. I'm. So really, for me, more is like what's going to allow me to wear crazy colors, and the <laughs> option has been like, uh, you know, I have a bright red jacket and like purple, poofy pants, black mm -hmm. and purple, but still. Excellent. Okay. Um, anything? What are you using on your hands? Um, I have been I've been using the same pair of sparring gloves for like six years now. Um, okay. I don't mind them at all. I'm at, I'm at once like really easy going about gear, but also like I I've seen punctures, so I'm yeah. That's that's where my paranoia comes in, and also I've seen sure. head injuries. Like I've yeah. I have broken my hand back in the um, lacrosse glove days, mm -hmm. but once I got into sparring gloves again, it's been like six years and I haven't had any like serious problems with those. Okay. Um, and I also I feel like I got like a magically good fit before they changed the design a little bit. Ah, uh, okay. So, <laughs> so that they're, makes all the difference. Yeah, they're they're like the the uni hoof model. I forget which one's yeah. which. Um. But it like a clamshell. Yeah, yeah, the clamshell ones. And it hasn't really caused me too many issues. Um, okay. And I think part of it was because I broke my hand during the lacrosse glove days. It was right after I got my cast off. So my hand was even smaller ah. because of the atrophy, which made the glove fit even tighter, yep. which made it less 
clunky on the handle. So I I actually have a fair amount of mobility just having Mm. small hands in general and having a like very snug fit glove. Um, And I think one of the things that I am kind of, I would kind of push for or stand for with like gear is getting used to snugger things. And I think when you take that measurement snug a little bit, you end up with a better fit. Um, my the one thing I harp on are giant masks, right. because people have these things and they'll rattle around and I'm like, oh no, and they're like, well, it was tight here. I'm like, here's how to readjust masks, and that's hmm. those are those are things I think people didn't get the education about because they went to like an Olympic fencing school for a while where you're like, oh right. yeah, you just slightly do this and very gently yeah. like shape it a little bit. You don't need to go up a whole other size, right? For yeah. For like just very delicate shaping, yeah. Um, so I think that's a little bit about my gear. It's it's kind of like very colorful and you know cobbled well, together, but I feel like that's also historical in a way. Yeah, totally. And and actually, one of the things that um, one of the complaints that in, when I've been doing these interviews has come up more than once is. It's also black. Where yeah. are the colours? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. This whole sort of Darth Vader look doesn't doesn't do it for me either. Um, yeah. So, what has been your your proudest moment in historical martial arts so far? Um, I have. I I mean, it's almost. It's definitely my club, as trite mm-hmm. as that can be. Like. You know, you're always most proud of your children. Um, yeah, of course. But, but, you know, my my club has been doing pretty well, um, even in a challenging time for people to meet. We okay. have been able to do online classes. We still have people right. involved. We have people who come away, you know, feeling good about what they've done, even if they can't come back to it for, you know, the reasons we sure. face these days. Um but yeah, and when I bring them to events, they're helpful, respectful, they fight well. You know, people compliment me mm-hmm. on how well my students fight, and I'm like, awesome, that's great. That, um, that, that's that's yeah. the best thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's fantastic when people are like, wow, like, she's really good. I'm like, thanks. We, we try. <laughs> we, put, we put effort into it. <laughs> Practice, <Sure>. I guess. <laughs> so so is, is rogue fencing... Um, your own club or do you have it with other other people other instructors how, how does that work so rogue has been kind of my passion project for the last five years now i mm-hmm. think i think 20 either 2015 or 2016 i should have that exact date off the top of my head <laughs> but it's it reminds me that i'm aging mm-hmm. so i'm not going to look <laughs> um, right. so I have been the main instructor and basically only instructor for most of that time. I am working on training up assistant instructors. And with my move, it was going to be the natural, like, how about you teach now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then have um, Lauren, who has been the most senior student and most interested in teaching, step up Mm -hmm. and do say like the beginners slash introductory classes while I keep working Mm -hmm. with the intermediates and you know growing the club that way um so 
<laughs> that was supposed to take place in March. <laughs> um, wow. We kind of ran into a hiccup. Um, yep. But, like, we definitely have plans to expand our teaching staff, so it's not mm-hmm. just me. Um, okay. Which I, I am glad for the help and grateful that, you know, people are willing yeah. to step up for it. Sure. And do you, you don't have your own permanent space, do you? We, so we do have a space in a studio in, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. it's not so it's just like, us, but we, right. we have regular classes in a, a brick and mortar sh- uh, studio. Cool. That must yeah. be extremely expensive in New York. We were very, very lucky um, to have, again, this is like students are wonderful. People coming to class are wonderful. Yeah. Through word of mouth, um, they told me about the space um, mm-hmm. that, you know, just like a small studio. And the great thing about New York is that there are lots of little studios. Right. Um, I met with the owner, great person. Um, and basically he has us on kind of like you would have a Zumba class. Um, right. So we don't really have to worry about rent. Um, we have basically a very good financial arrangement. Um, okay. that allows us to continue to have a space in a way that doesn't essentially bankrupt the club. It's right. still hard. We still have to get people in to sure. you know try the class, see how it is. Yep. That's kind of how a lot of New York clubs uh, of all, all classes have to be. Um, but in a way, we kind of end up working almost like a fitness class does. And right. within that scheme, we're kind of like, almost like fitness instructors but okay it's it's been a way we can work and we've been in that space probably two or three years now right okay so you've been in the same space for two or three years and you have it what several times a week for a few hours or how, how does yeah we are well we also wanted to add our friday night classes again so that we could break it up into multiple classes but when it's yeah. just me i'm mostly doing like all right, I have, I also have a nine to five. I have like a day job. So okay. I, my bandwidth let me do it about once a week. Um, right. But with having another instructor again, because mm-hmm. I've tried for multiple days a week and I, it's just too close to burnout. Um, yep. But with having another instructor, then we get multiple days a week. <laughs> yeah, I, I had no trouble teaching four nights a week and most weekends yeah. because I didn't have a day job. Yeah, that's my only job. So you know, but with a day job, I uh, yeah, I couldn't possibly have done it. I'd yeah. have just died. It's yeah. it's interesting, and then you also have to look at teaching, teaching. When are you going to practice for yourself? Day yeah. job. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I'm like I so, I'm gonna so how keep do you, it to how do you day. squeeze that in? How do, um, how do you get your own training in? Very carefully. <laughs> um, okay. I. I do try to, and one of the things I've always tried to do is get there early and stay late. It's kind of that yeah. like first one in, last one out, but also mm-hmm. I'm really the one opening and closing up, so why not come in 15 minutes early? Yeah. Um, so I would just come in for a little bit. Um, I do a lot of solo training. Um, yeah, me too. I do a lot of like shadow fighting, um, mm-hmm. and that's really been the way for me to go through it gives me time to work on stuff for the next class um if i do like 15 minutes before and 15 minutes after 15 minutes after i'm working on 
hey, these are things maybe I pulled out from this class. Let me look at the curriculum mm-hmm. and see what I need to highlight for next class and kind of start building something that's also very responsive to my regular students um, right. that works within a curriculum that is open to anyone. So, okay. Yeah. So it, it, you, go ahead. You developed your own curriculum? I, yes, I wrote my own curriculum. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, I based it on kind of a, a general understanding of like looking into how people will learn something and what will keep them interested. So okay. every class in a way can be self-contained mm-hmm. and every class has like this general to specific structure structure. Yep. And then the curriculum overall has a general to specific structure. Do you have a pedagogical background by any chance? Yeah, I have a master's in education. Uh, yeah, so. it's, it's, kind of, it's sort of <laughs> yeah. coming through in how you're yeah. describing your curriculum. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I try to think about that a lot. Um, and seeing more people more interested in pedagogy is really important to me as well. Sure. Um, but yeah, so when I was building this, I'm like, what can I think about takeaways a lot? What's am I going to take away? Um, yep. Especially how we're viewing things now. Like, as a club, we have to, you know, we have to be realistic. Some people aren't going to come back. Um, sure. A lot of people's lives have changed in really profound ways. And that's not saying anything against us as a club or no. us as a community. It's just how things are for people. Yeah. Um, it's been a very trying time for many people. So what we when we're looking at goals, um, and this has been something I've thought all along, just like have people with a takeaway mm-hmm. um, from every class so that they could go away, especially in the how the New York City environment is mm-hmm. for classes. Yep. I want people to go away and say, oh, I learned how to do a couple cuts on a longsword. And I know the right term for it. I'm not calling it a broadsword because that's something else. (laughs) Or we learned how to do footwork and now I can do a lunge. And, you know, they could Mm -hmm. say they have something specific if and this is part of like the 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 other side of it is that it's very competitive. You're looking at reviews. You want people to also have some people review your club on what on on Internet sites or. Yeah. So we, the studio that mm-hmm. houses us yep. is part of something called Class Pass. You basically okay. buy a bundle of class credits and can use them here and there. Uh, okay. So user reviews tell people what to expect when they go right. into classes. Sure. With that in our minds as you know, as part of a studio and Mm -hmm. the studio that houses us needs to, you know, make money. So it survives in this, in a competitive economy, like as a class, we should be able to be like, okay, so you're going to learn this. But the challenge for me as a teacher and also me as a martial artist is how to make that relevant to what we do as a whole. So it's not just, you know, ta-da, you could do a lunge. I mean, anyone yeah, yeah. can do a lunch. So it's, it's, but then it's strategic rather than tactical. Yeah. Yeah. So that's always a challenge. Um, sure. But I try to make sure people have something they can take away. Um, mm-hmm. Even if it's like, oh, I met with some really cool people. And, you know, this nice person who's been coming for three or four weeks 
was really patient with me and really nice to me. That's also a really good takeaway for it. Yeah, that's a very good takeaway. So you're not running then like beginners courses and sort of staging people's entry into the classes through a beginners course that they have to attend first. So I'll tell you a little bit more about our curriculum. We do have, yeah, sure. we do have it um, strata like in strata a little bit. Yeah. So we have essentially a six to eight week cycle. Yep. where we go through the curriculum and then afterwards they could choose to test into kind of our our open level um i call them the queen's guard because we're in queens new york right yeah so <laughs> um you could you could come into the queen's guard um you get the cool chat <laughs> where you get to stay abreast of everything that's going on but um we do have a test at the end of that um mm-hmm. And that's really, I want to see how people communicate and work with each other in that setting because of some of the challenges of being in a place where I only have the capacity to do once a week. If we're lucky, I can do sparring nights a couple times a month, uh, in addition specifically for the people who've gone through, passed the test, are they're essentially, I know they're safe enough and invested Mm. enough to come in with gear or something they want to work on. So it's not even just a sparring night. It's, you mm. know, hey, we did Zorn Howe for like two weeks and then I was gone. How does that actually fit together? And we can, right. you know, spend time working Go on those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So we do have a little bit of stratification there. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also helped with kind of identifying who might want to teach and help the club grow and expand. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's an interesting challenge to face and also work with. Like our classes are generally open level. Um, right. And then the other layer of that with the general to specific for the more experienced students, they get very yeah. specific. Um, right. And, I, and in the questions, there's like, what inspired you? <laughs> or like, who are some of the... In- instructors or whoever then uh, who have been your main influences as a teacher oh, main influences. I, sorry, I, let, let, let me sorry let me just orient the um the, the listeners as to what's going yeah. on okay when i invite somebody onto the podcast um i send them a sample list of questions beforehand so that they have an idea of what we're going to talk about and they can prepare stuff if they want to um, and they can add to that list or suggest that maybe they don't want to discuss that particular topic or whatever so Tan's referring to the list of questions that I sent her um, last week so she could see what, basically what the deal was before she committed to coming on the podcast. So I that's, am that's, also, that's the list. I am a uh, hyper note taker. So yeah, I will take too. notes on everything. And I'm like, wait, hold on. Let me look at this thing I did. It helps me, um, it helps me flow through things a little bit more. So I always sure. will refer back to something. There are just notes like everywhere <laughs> around <laughs> me. Um, sure. But um, one of the things that helped me with kind of getting that class structure to make more sense and to make mm-hmm. it more usable for more experienced students are the, um, the Bato instructors. So um, Bato do uh, Japanese sword arts. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So in Hima, there are a lot of people these days talking about Sang Kim. And he is one of the um, instructors who I would mention for that. Um, And then So how how do you spell his name? Mm S-A-N-G. 
S-A-N-G. K-I-M. K-I-M. And he's, he's teaching Bato Do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Which is Japanese and, yeah, my Japanese is failing me. Tell us more about Bato Do. So they are, this martial art is very popular with the cutting focused group in HEMA, if that makes sense. In, he, in historical martial arts generally? Yes. Okay. So, I'm, I'm surprised I haven't come across it because this yeah. is news to me. So please carry on. So like Tristan's and it's Tristan Zukowski's instructor for ah, okay. cutting. Yeah, I, I know Tristan and he does yeah. the cutting and yeah. So Batadoz so is like the that sort of cutting focused. Right, right, right. Yes. Okay. So I know it's, where we yeah, are. It's yeah. kind of kind of like with what we do. There is kind of a holistic perspective from it. The sure. component that is most developed that we can take from mm -hmm. and share from with or and share with with what we do is the cutting so yeah. they actually have it as like three components three branches mm -hmm. it's the cutting it's the kata and then it is the gekin gekin is the padded sword fighting so okay. that's how they spar with the padded swords sure so it gives you you know the technical Mm -hmm. It gives you the practical with sharps, and it gives you the practical with, like, I guess, combatives for um, sure. for sparring. Um, mm -hmm. So they kind of break it into those three. Um, yep. And it's influenced a lot of, and because America, American HEMA likes to cut a lot, it influences mm -hmm. a lot of American HEMA through that and the instructors they've come in contact yeah, this, with. This has been going on a long time. I remember in 2003 at uh, an event in Benicia in California, um, a chap called Jim Alvarez, who he runs, he's, he's an Aikido instructor. Mm -hmm. He brought a whole bunch of tatami yep. and we all had a go at cutting tatami. And I, if I remember rightly, I think that was my first time actually cutting tatami. I mean, like cutting like ropes and stuff before that, but yeah. tatami is so much better. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, so we, I yeah, okay. So I, yeah, I've I've been into the cutting side of things for a long time. Yeah. Um, it's nice. It's nice to see that it's getting a more a sort of broader currency. Um, yeah. So. No, it's great. Um, and you know, if we have this thing we view as a weapon, we should know how to use it in that way Absolutely. as well. Yeah. And I think you know, if we want to loop back to safety, you learn how to respect it that way. So you're not Absolutely. just you know, flinging it behind you. And even stuff like that, where you're like, where's the right. tip going? You want to be aware of that anyway, because you could be standing next to someone and if you're just like gesturing wildly yeah, with yeah, your, yeah. your blade, even if it's, you know, synthetic, that's still problematic. Still out an eye, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just, you know, it reminds us that we should be aware and focused on mm. this because like, it, it is simulated, but there, you have to you have to respect it and like what sure. the potential is with yep. this as a training focus. Um, but yeah, I was lucky enough. Um, again, New York City gives us access to many things and many opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to train with Sang um, Sang Sensei quite a bit. Um, go to a few of his classes. Um, I've trained with his. Um, one of his students who started his own school, Zach Sensei, 
<laughs> I'm trying to uh, loop back into the honorifics of Japanese sword arts here. Sure. Um, so as I blunder through it, <laughs> um, yeah, I've been lucky enough to train with those people, mm -hmm. and um, it's interesting as a beginner to see how they structure things, but also somebody who is a teacher who's done instruction to see how they focus and how you know, they can have an open level class, but also have something for a beginner and what the yep. beginner can be learning and somebody more experienced and what that person can be learning and how they kind mm -hmm. of scaffold or differentiate within that class. Yeah. So talked about a lot with education and pedagogy, <laughs> but yeah. Well, there, there, there's an art to teaching, particularly a mixed level class where you've got beginners and you've got more experienced people and you've got to make sure the more experienced people don't get frustrated from boredom or the beginners get frustrated from just being overwhelmed. Right. So, it's a, yeah, keeping them all in at, operating at the right level so they're, they're challenged enough to be engaged but not so challenged they get frustrated, that's, that's probably the, the most sophisticated art of teaching of them all. Yep, and you know, I... I think that's a mountain for me to continue climbing and I like mm. to think that we have good classes and fun classes but I just want to make sure that like as my students grow I can keep responding to their needs too. Yeah, absolutely. As, as the students get better, it's, it's like a rising tide lifts all boats. Better yeah. students push the instructor up because you know you have to scurry like hell to stay ahead of them. Absolutely. Yeah, well, that's been my experience anyway. Um, okay, Tan. Uh, so I have a couple of sort of standard questions that I tend sure. to uh, ask people, and um, one of them is, "What is the best idea you've never acted on?" Sorry, never acted on. What is the best idea you've never acted on? This is when our reception goes. Um, best idea I've never acted on. I would have to say people have, oh man, this is, this is me giving away something I want to do and wanted to do this summer, but because of how things are, I haven't been able to. Okay. Um, people have been talking about like, well, first seeing the, like a HEMA swords skill course with the Denver school. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, Jason Barron's school, um, building on that with something almost like three gun. So it is more of a, <laughs> it'd be like cutting and cutting tournaments, but kind of turned up to 10 and okay. pushed to like a, a higher level. Um, mostly because it's cool. I mean, we've seen a lot of people have seen the videos of Keanu Reeves doing his three gun runs for like training okay. for John Wick. Um, yeah, so yeah. I, I feel like that might be a good touchstone for people okay. um, if they aren't could, like. Could, could you could you just just make sure I've got this right? The three gun run. Yeah. So. Okay. I I, I don't I don't know much about internet stuff as you probably it's okay. gathered. It's, so it's so actually, I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Three this gun is, run. Okay, this is Keanu a really Reeves. interesting. Uh, <laughs> this is a really interesting um, point of of like pedagogical divergence to go into. Um, okay. 
So what if we make practical training, but also a little bit crazy? Yeah. <laughs> um, so three gun is a competitive um, shooting sport, um, I guess, a way of doing competitive shooting sports. There is okay. there are three guns. There's handgun, pistol, yeah, rifle, and shotgun. Yeah. And okay. you have different targets and different goals at different stages. Sure. So being able to use all three weapons competently, mm-hmm. also safely, and accurately are important components. Okay. So That sounds cutting, like a lot of fun. I, 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 yeah. When I lived in Finland, I would shoot. And I, I own guns in Finland. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally... It sounds fantastic. Um, now I have to look it up and spend like 10 hours on YouTube yeah. looking at clips of three gun rooms. All right. Yeah. So okay. what if we did that, but with swords? That, that sounds like an excellent idea. So we have dagger. Okay. For sh- shorter range. Yeah, we yeah. have long sword, maybe rapier, rapier depends on how we feeder, want yeah. to look at that. And then we have yeah. pole arms. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Count me in. Yeah, I, Excellent. I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> the pandemic, but also yes. <laughs> but um, I haven't been able to act on that, but it's something I think would be really fun. Even just like a weekend with the friends where we get like six people sure. together and go, all right, let's just, you know, afterwards we're going to have a barbecue. But first, what we're going to do is see who, you know, again, thinking of like Fiore stuff, uh, you could get a lot of the baton work in there. Like, Absolutely. how do you, can you do this baton play when you get the stimulus at you? Right. Who's doing it fastest and most accurately? Okay. So, yeah. That, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I can see, because at each of those, you could have destroying actual targets, you know, yeah. cutting with a longsword, stabbing with a dagger, whatever. You could have um, sort of a pair drill type of mm-hmm. technical training and you could also have a competitive sparring type yeah training harder with the pole arms probably hardest with the pole arms yeah yeah you you don't want to you don't want to take a pole arm to the head when you're wearing a fencing mask or even even when you're wearing full plate armor but you could see who's going to cut that pumpkin over there well yeah sure so you can get you can get the destruction of targets um actually fencing with the pole it's it is super fun but it is it is a little on the dangerous side. Yeah. Um, I had a lovely fight with a guy called Lois Forster mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago in armor in my cell. We, we, he fully armed, he, Polax is his thing, and we were fully armored up in, in plate armor and beating the crap out of each other with Polaxes. I mean, no. he's a gentleman, so he wouldn't say he hammered me, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. I, uh, that was my super cat fun. felt it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So, so your your best idea you've never acted on is a three gun run inspired uh, swordsmanship event for like dagger, sword, and polearm. Yeah. I, I think you should. I think you should act on that. I really. Do. I really I want to. That's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. We'll take um, video. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so embarrassing. Get, Who knows. <laughs> Well, no, no, no. Get, get Keanu to come along and give it a go. I'm sure yeah. he'd be delighted. Why not? That, that would do historical Pop martial over. arts an awful lot of good. Um, okay, so my last question is somebody gives you a million pounds to spend improving historical martial arts worldwide. Sorry, you can have a million dollars if you prefer. 
how would you spend the money? The pounds. Pounds have a better exchange rate still, right? That's true. <laughs> um, I would probably put at least half of it into a scholarship fund. Um, okay. So one of the things For who, that... To do that, what? Um, so specifically like underrepresented groups, especially like queer mm-hmm. um, and black indigenous people of color. Um, mm-hmm. So one of the things that Fectia has done, um, and this is also something we have been able to adopt from um, another event, the one run by Dory and David Copeland's, um, is scholarships. So mm-hmm. every year Fectia offers usually around three scholarships um, for people to come to our event if they have barriers being involved right. with HEMA. Sure. Um, so I, I think like having something particularly to help people get to more events is sure. a very important um, component, um, mm-hmm. especially to, and the way we see it with fact, yeah, is that we're the ones creating instructors. Like this is how we keep people going and how we keep things sustainable um, by getting the people who want to go the extra mile, go to an event, take classes, learn from people, mm-hmm. see how other people do things and to continue yep. encouraging that. And that's how we get instructors in the long run. That's how we get researchers in the long run to keep Absolutely. people who will go this extra mile and mm-hmm. to you know, push them to go this extra mile. Um, and I, as kind of comes off of the, like, I'd like to invest in pedagogical training in general. Um, right. how I envision that is, you know, a little unclear. I don't know if it's like coming up with like an event or like a series of workshop modules that can be, you know, nicely produced, but, that might be a little too rigid for really what I'd envision. Uh, Things like that, I think, really kind of fall in line with my, my, I guess, bigger mission, which sounds a little cheesy Mm -hmm. to say out loud, but it's it's something- You're you're with friends, you can say (laughs) mission. I have a mission, you have a mission, that's fine. And and that's what like, Fetia really, does because the people who've received scholarships will come back and hopefully you know contribute to the community um Mm -hmm. we got a really cool application um that would have been for you know this year for you know where we extended the offer to the next the next event (laughs) um that is like i do want to teach and i do want to you know really have an option to learn and see how other people teach. Um, And I think when finding your teaching style and finding how you best communicate, it's also good to see how other people do it too. Um, And, you know, kind of like, uh, like a, a magpie taking what works and what you like and being able Mm -hmm. to use that on your own. Um, so yeah, I, I, like a scholarship travel fund, and then like uh, general, <laughs> general nebulous like cool teacher initiative. <laughs> um, okay, like those so, so you have some, some of the money would be for um, disadvantaged people to travel to events, and some of the money you would use to establish a scholarship fund for or, or a system for 
um, training teachers. Right. That's a really good use of the money. Yeah, if, and, if, if I had yeah. a million dollars, I'd probably give it to you. And honestly, if I could like take five to 10 for myself and just like go and see different programs, that would be good too. It's a fact-finding mission. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not, yeah, you have to yeah, do the research gonna, to figure out lie. how to spend the money, like, right? No, 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 of yeah. course. I, okay. I would take 10 grand and just be like, listen, I'm going to take like six months to like see a couple different places and I'll be back. Yeah, that's not, okay. Yeah, and, and if you, the thing is, if your pedagogical training has been good so far, your students will be just fine without you. Sure. <laughs> no, yeah, they'll, I mean, they'll be great without me. <laughs> right, I mean, that, that, but that's, that's the absolute measure yeah. of a teacher, isn't it? It's, it's how, yeah. how well your students do when you're not there. Yeah, but you know, it's also like, hey, it's a fun question. I'm gonna, uh, might as well be upfront. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and get some, get some sort of broader experience. Have you traveled much so far? A Have little you had much bit. Opportunity to go? Um, I've been to Europe a little bit. I went to Swordfish mm-hmm. a few years back. Okay. Um, did not perform well enough to really mention, but that's fine. It's more about learning and having fun. Uh, right. <laughs> same thing with Paris. I went to Paris. <laughs> um, okay. I definitely um, am more of I'm more teacher focused, which I do pretty well at fighting, but I. I'm not going to like be too shiny um, with winning all the medals. I have a handful and I'm very proud of them, but uh, (laughs) I'll leave it for the next gen. Um, But I have traveled a little bit. Um, I actually do want to see some of the groups in Asia. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I'm half Filipino and I hear there are Filipino groups, so that'd be cool to see. and I was just talking with um, a friend of mine about the Indonesian group. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I've been talking to one of their people on Instagram or something. Like, yeah, and hearing I, I, that they have a cool, vibrant scene there. Sure. Yeah, a student from Indonesia came. I did a seminar in Singapore a little while ago. And mm. she, she flew over from Jakarta for it. And I was like, wow, there's stuff going on in Indonesia. I had no idea. Right. And That's I'm great. like, wow, yeah. okay, yeah, you know, let's go see Indonesia, see the people there and how they're doing it. And clearly, like, going to another country for a seminar is showing, like, hey, like, I want to... Yeah. It's showing a lot of dedication. So that's yeah. it's really cool to see and to see like that kind of exchange of information. Someday I'll get out to the, uh, the Pacific. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, well, good luck. Yeah. Um... Well, Tan, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure, and um, I hope to see you at somewhere on the globe yeah. at some point in the, in the near future when the corona madness has passed. <laughs> Thanks for coming along. Thank you for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Tan Smith. Remember to go to guywindsor.net forward slash podcast for the episode show notes and to download your free copy of Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. And tune in next week when I'll be talking to Jennifer Landles about mounted combat, writing and other things. To make sure you don't miss that episode, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. See you next week.